Please turn in your Bibles or your Philippian booklet. You know, if you still have your booklet with you, I hope you do. Um, Turn to Philippians chapter two, verses 19 to 30. We continue our study through this book, Paul's letter to the church at at Philippi. Um, How good was it for, you know, I know it's not everyone because you don't know him, but for me, how good was it to have Jeff Helton here last week, you know, teaching? I loved you know, Jeff has a long history, I know, with us. He goes way back, and it's just fun. I watch it online, you know, and just to hear his heart, his voice. Uh, I want that heart and voice shaping my heart, and uh, tr- tremendous to have him with us. He took us from verses 12 to 18 last week. Now, in, in setting the context for our text today, um, I, I, I want to I set some hard edges because it helps us feel and it'll help us apply the text here when we land uh, in a few moments from now. Um, Chapter two. So this is where we're in chapter two. And y'all chapter two is one of the most theologically complex, doctrinally deep sections of the Bible in all of the scribes. It is profoundly theologically significant. It's It's a doctrinal tour de force. The the, the Christ hymn, the, the, the passage uh, was several weeks back that we ran, chapter two, verses five through 11. We took two weekends just to barely scratch the surface on it. Um, you know, Paul took us, took, took, us Christ, took us with Christ from his glory to the tomb and from the tomb to greater glory. Uh, that particular passage has its own name. It's called the kenosis passage. Kenosis being that word emptied. He emptied himself um, for uh, em- emptied himself in, in, in humility for you and for me. And so when we read our, our text today, okay, because we're still right on the edge of that, um, it, it just seems odd. I don't know about you, like when you heard that read, it's like, what, what are we t- studying today? You know, it just seems odd. It seems a bit ill-timed. Odd in this way. Um, Paul goes from the, from the profound to the seeming mundane, you know, the kenosis of Jesus. And uh, I hope to see you soon. I'm gonna send you know, to it like a travel log. It's odd. And it's fair to ask the question because it's there for, you know, the tension we feel is for a reason. I say it's ill-timed. Why, why would I say it's ill-timed? Only because when you look at Paul's letters, what you find is Paul doesn't start naming names, really naming names. Till he's at the end of the letter. So you, so you read these letters, you know, Philippians, Ephesians, not Philippians, but Ephesians. Actually, he'll do it in Philippians, but all his letters. He starts naming names at the end. It's like he's wrapping up and he mentions, think of so-and-so and so-and-so greet you. He starts naming those names. So here we find, y'all, this is a big section. That's a long reading for a, as we study verse by verse. And it's all about these two guys, you know, it's Paul or it's Timothy and Epaphroditus, it seems uh, ill-timed. What, what's going on? Why now? We're not even halfway through Philippians in your name and names. And by the way, he gives them a lot of ink. Well, the answer to that question actually is, is in our text. Now, it's not in the one we're covering today, but look in your Bibles, look in your little booklet if you have it, to chapter three, verse 17. Notice Paul writes, brothers, that's brothers and sisters, Christians at Philippians, at Philippi, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. There's why he 
says what he says in our sections today. He's sharing his travel plans because it allow him, it allows him to show us two people we're to keep our eyes on. <laughs> we're to watch these guys because in fact, we're to emulate them. And this reveals a fundamental spiritual truth, principle, reality. That is, it's throughout the whole Bible, but I, I want us to hold this truth as we study this particular passage. Because you read this travelogue and go, God's kind of kind of a light lunch there, you know. No, there's something profound underneath it. And what's what's underneath it is this foundational Christian principle. Spiritual growth, life change, heart transformation requires face-to-face, person-to-person, heart-to-heart interaction. That, that's what's underneath this. I could say it this way, um, spiritual growth requires relationship. It requires, it requires people on people relationship. That's true through the whole Bible and it undergirds our text today. Spiritual growth requires person to person and not just doctrinal truth. See, so now you see it. He's talking about this doctrinal truth that we've been in, and then right on the edge of it, it's like, hey, and you need to get to know these people. You need to know these people. See that? Because in the spiritual life, our, our doctrinal understanding, oh my, may it never outrun our relational growth and connection with others. So with that, let's keep our eyes on. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna keep our eyes on Timothy and Epaphroditus for a few moments. And that's all the message will be. Timothy, Epaphroditus, what does this mean and how do we apply it? Let's start with Timothy. Look in your Bibles, chapter two, verses 19 to 24. Paul writes and says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. We're just doing a quick study on Timothy here. Um, Paul, the, the highest accolade he could give of Timothy as he's presenting Timothy to us here is not Timothy's, you know, what Timothy knows, it's not his theology. It's not, it's not even his pastoral work or skills. The, the highest accolade he can give of Timothy that he wants us to see here is, may I say it this way, it's Timothy's love. This guy loves. It's the idea behind this, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He cares about you, genuinely cares, loves you. He's not throwing everybody else out the, you know, under the bus when he says, I have no one like him. Keep in mind, he says, I have no one like him. It's not like he's got plenty of people like Timothy, but he's referring to those whom he referred to earlier uh, back in chapter one, verse 15, when he said, you know, there's some around me that are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry and conceit. That's who he's, that, you know, I have, that's who those are, but not Timothy. And if you look at the text in verses 20, uh, 
21 and 22, it, it's interesting how he, he connects two things. He said, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So, so to, what does it mean to seek the interests of Jesus Christ? Let's think of that. What, is, what, what does it mean to seek the interests of Christ? Because these other people aren't doing it, but Timothy is. Well, we only have to look in the verse above to know he will be genuinely, genuinely concerned for your welfare. As one, one uh, commentator put it, you know, to, 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 be in, to be about the interests of Christ and to care for other people, to be genuinely concerned for them, uh, that's the same thing. It's synonymous. And then he adds this, but you know, like you guys know Timothy's proven worth, that proven worth, it's actually one Greek word and it's what you think it means, that which has withstood test or ordeal. So, so you know, Timothy, he's been through the fire. He, he struggled. Um, he's, he's, you know, as Paul said, he's, he, he's fought the fight. He, uh, he has suffered. He has taken blows in life and relationship. He, he's not a neophyte. He's one of proven worth. And it's interesting, uh, you know, I will, I will, I'll say this to you all, and, and I, I've experienced this, and it's true that, you know, in the spiritual journey, the struggles of life and, quite frankly, people and all we go through with each other, whatever, it'll either make you bitter, right? It can make you bitter. God willing, it makes us genuinely concerned for others. That's a work of the Spirit, <laughs> to not go to the bitter side. And he says, Peter's, or, or uh, Timothy's, he's, he's proven worth. He, all of these struggles have actually made him care for you more, made him love more. Says Timothy served, along, Paul says, he, Timothy, he served alongside as a son with a father. That's verse 22. This, What's important about this is it's not long distance learning. This is a cultural thing for them and it's just not true for us today. In their day, you know, sons would carry on what their dads did. It was, that was the general rule. That's not today. But in that day, your dad's a carpenter. You, you learned carpentry with your dad. If your dad was a farmer, you learned farming and, and, and the girls watched mom and became mothers. That's, that's what that culture was. We don't do that today. But it's so important to catch how he says a son with a father, because this will get to our application, you all. To, to learn what dad does so that I can do it one day, I gotta be with dad. I gotta hang out with dad. I gotta talk to dad. Dad's gonna talk to me. Do you see that? So that's so, so important. And then finally, regarding Timothy, Paul says he served with me in the gospel it means the, the, the gospel was their mission. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they were about. Uh, served with me. I, I think it's a wonderful picture here where Paul, you know, quite frankly, he's an apostle. It's okay to go, he's an apostle and I'm not, you know, and visually see it like that. But Paul says, you know, he is the apostle, but he doesn't say, and then there's, there's Timothy down here, one of my servants. No, he's, he served alongside me, <laughs> With the gospel, it's a great picture, may I say, to anyone in the room who holds a position of leadership, whether vocationally, family, whatever it may be, you know, the leader's role biblically, and Paul models this, is not, hey, I'm, I'm here and you're there. It's, I'm here and I'm bringing you up here with me. That's biblical leadership. I'm gonna summarize Timothy's life and character like this. Put it up on the screen. He was a man 
serving the needs of others with a tested faith and the gospel as the priority of life. Everybody just kind of glance at that. Okay, he was a man serving the needs of others with a tested faith and the gospel as the priority of life. There's Timothy. Now I've got a question to ask you. And I really want you to answer it. I want you to think about how you'd answer this. Who do you know in your life, somewhere around you, you may not know them well, but you just, you know of, who do you know, get a, get a person or people in your mind who serve the needs of others with a tested faith and the gospel as priority of life? We, we've got to go there. If we're going to apply this text, we got to go there. It's not enough to go, oh, uh, you know, yeah, Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul, they're our example. Look, when the, when the original audience got this letter and they were reading it, note this, they, they read it and went, yes, I know, I know Timothy. I saw, him, I saw him a year ago when he was here. And oh, well, of course, Epaphroditus, I watched him from when he was a little boy and now he's grown. I know Epaphroditus. Yes, and I know Paul because he came through. And you see what I'm saying? They, they were real people that they knew. And so the expectation is not just we will look at them biblically as biblical examples. Y'all, Paul says, emulate those, i.e. today in Middle Tennessee, who do you know that is in flesh and blood who lives this way? Does, this, does that make sense? We can't just use them as examples per se. The expectation is that we'll have people in our life around us who are like them. Today, they're like them that will emulate and engage. That's really important to get locked in because when we talk about applying this text, that's where we'll go. So that's Timothy. Let's look at Epaphroditus, verses 25 to 30. So he, Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious, may be less concerned. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, Timothy Epaphroditus. For he, Epaphroditus, nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I need to, I need to build out um, the, the backstory that this story rests upon. And, and when I do, all these little pieces, I hope, and I think will fall into place. And we've done this before, but I'm gonna do it again. So the church in Philippi that Paul started, planted back in Acts 15, I believe, um, they, they sent money to the apostle Paul. Paul is in jail, we believe in Rome. So that little church took up an offering, a financial gift. They gave it to Epaphroditus and said, take this to Paul in Rome. Epaph 800 miles. Epaphroditus makes an 800 mile trip to Paul in Rome. Here's a gift of money. Now, why would they give him that gift of money in, in prison? Rob said this earlier, because in that day, prisoners 
did not eat on tax dollars. If you're a prisoner, then you better hope you've got a friend somewhere or family who will send you food or money for your food and what you need. So the Philippian church said, we're gonna support Paul while he's in prison. Now we also know that when they sent Epaphroditus, they also sent him with instructions and stay with Paul until he doesn't need you anymore. We can pick that up from the story. Their expectation was you're gonna represent us and, and take care of Paul. Whatever needs Paul has, you're there for the long haul to be with him, which is why on the back end of our text, it says he's, he's making up for what you lack. That's not a slam on them. He's saying to them, you wish you all could be here helping me, but he's, he's the one making up for that. That's all that is. Now we also know this, that Epaphroditus, either in the journey or while there, he got sick. You know, clearly, he was almost dead. And when, when he got sick, word got back to Philippi, Epaphroditus, he's about to die. And Epaphroditus hears that they're worried about him. And what does that do in Epaphroditus? It distresses him. Mom, dad, cousins, brothers, they're, they're worried. I'm distressed because I've distressed them. Does that make sense? I mean, this is so human. Well, God heals Epaphroditus. We don't know how, what, we don't know what the disease was. And so Paul now, okay, because he's also gotten word of this dissension at Philippi. I need to write him a letter. I need to get these, I need to help them. So he writes a letter. This is the letter we're reading. Now he, he, he doesn't want to send Timothy with the letter. It, it appears he wants Timothy to be with him. So he wants Timothy so that when, you know, whether it's tomorrow or next week or the next month, that he gets this verdict, you're to die or you're to live. He wants Timothy with him. That's endearing, quite frankly. Think about his relationship with Timothy. Because he says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. So, so they'll have already gotten the letter and Timothy can then go and tell him, hey, he's been set free or he's dead. And Paul, so he's got Timothy to do that. But he needs the letter to get to Philippi now. Are y'all tracking with me on this? So, so, he, so he chooses Epaphroditus, take this letter back home and you need to go home because you almost died in your work for the kingdom and I want you back with your people. And so when we read that section, I don't know about you when you read it, it's almost like, I mean, he kind of goes overboard on Epaphroditus. I mean, my gosh, he's this, he's that. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like he's defending Epaphroditus. Does anybody else sense that in the text? Because he is. He wants them to know that Epaphroditus coming home early was not because he couldn't do the work. It was because, it's because Paul has sent him back. Does that make sense? So receive him. Don't look down on him like he couldn't keep up with me or do what I needed. No, I want him back with you. Everybody with me on that? So there's the story that, okay, now when I read that, I go, okay, that's, that's what's happening here. Three things that Paul says about Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. What, when, you, you know, when you call someone your brother who's not your literal brother, what's implied in that? That's what's implied. This guy is really close to me. This was my college roommate. He's my brother. You know what I mean? That's, that's familial tightness. He says he's my fellow worker. He's alongside of me in this work. He's not down here again like Timoth Timothy works with me. Epaphroditus works with me. He's my fellow worker. Then he says, he's my fellow soldier. Y'all, I've not experienced this. Some of you have. 
I don't, there is perhaps no greater bond between human beings than that bond that occurs when people fight in war together and some die. You know what I'm saying? You know that. I mean, it's just, it, it gives chills on your arms. You go to the Vietnam Memorial or any, any of these memorials, you go, they fought and there's men standing there and the guy could be 70, 80 years old, bawling. You, you ever, you, I've seen that because because their brother died or, you know, and they're standing with each other. That's what war will do. I'll tell you what, that's what the spiritual life will do when we walk in such a way as they did. And then he looks at the Philippians and he writes to them and he says, okay, that's what he is to me. And, and to you, you, you already know this, he's your messenger and he's your minister. Messenger is apostle. It's not the, the, the formal apostle as Paul in that office. It, all apostle means is sent one. He's your, you sent him. You, you know him, you love him, you sent him. And he's your minister, i.e. it carries the religious overtone. You, you sent him on this mission from God. <laughs> you guys did that. Now twice, I already said this, but in 27 and in 30, he says, he nearly died, y'all. <laughs> he nearly died doing this. And he says he nearly died doing the work of Christ or working for Christ, work of Christ. I, I wanna camp on that for a moment. What is this work of Christ? Because this will be important in our own application too. What is this work of Christ that Epaphroditus almost died for? We get a clue in verse 22 when he, when, when he said of Timothy, you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Hmm. So Epaphroditus does this work of Christ with Paul. And he says of Timothy, he served with me in the gospel. This, you know, these are moving really close together and they move totally close together when we consider chapter one, verse five, speaking to, to them because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse seven, you are all partakers with me in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Verse 12, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be as citizens worthy of the gospel, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news. Epaphroditus and Timothy, they were about with their life, the proclamation in advance of the gospel, that is the good news, gospel, good news, that Jesus Christ is the son of God who lived a life that none of us could, who died the death we all deserved. He bore our sins on himself. He was killed. He was separated from the father, buried. He was dead. Three days later, he rose again because he had no sin of his own. And the good news is all who put their trust in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You're clothed in his righteousness. You gain a right standing with God forever. So that's the good news. And that's what they were about. Instructive, certainly for you and I. So with that, let me, let me give you a, a a statement about Epaphroditus. Here's how I would describe this man. He was a man who risked his life. We note that. And he endured distress because he lived to advance the gospel. Now there, there's some overlap, isn't there? So think of, Epaph think of Epaphroditus. He, he, he risked his life. He endured distress because he lived to advance the gospel. Now, when you say he risked his life, I, I, wanna, I wanna bring that into the 21st century. 
What I mean by that is in that day, yes, he got ill. So that was a sickness that could have killed him. But Paul, let's note Paul is in jail waiting for a verdict because Paul proclaimed Jesus. He, he could die, right? And we know this is true for any in the church in, in that day to, to live for Jesus in that context, it could literally cost them their, they could be killed, right? Now, while I say bring it to the 21st century, let's come to our day for you and I to live our life in such a way that the gospel's priority and we live to advance the gospel, that's our mission in life. I don't think, you know, here in Middle Tennessee that it's gonna cost you your life. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but, but are you with me? I mean, that, that would be rare. So, so how do we apply that? What does it mean to risk life in our day? The, the, the text, of course, to remain faithful to the text, it's the great cost of living for Jesus. What's the great cost to us that could be risking life? I, I wanna suggest a few things. If you're gonna live to advance the gospel in our day, truly, when I say that, I'm just saying, if you wanna live for Christ so that you, 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 you speak of Jesus, you live for Jesus, you walk with Jesus, you follow Jesus with your whole heart, it's your, he's your life, if, if, if that's how we live, it could mean the death of your reputation, truly. That's, that's been true forever. I think of students in school today and you think of middle school student who, who would stand up for Jesus in the face of all that's going on. They could be totally ostracized. You could be totally poo-pooed, right? Painted in a corner, that, that happens. You could, you, could, you, could, you could see the death of your reputation, certainly. You could see the death of your career, that happens. There are, there are men and women in the room who you can, you can make a choice for Christ and it will cost you your career. Eh, no, you're done. You'll never go any, that's true. It could cost you your financial security. In the same way on the career, you, you could lose money. You could lose, your, you could lose your job. You could lose income if you stand for Jesus. That's, that's real. Are, are, we, are, are we living that way? Does that happen? You could lose your social standing. Jesus said this, you could lose family members. You know what I mean by that? It's it just, there's this break because you're following Jesus. You could lose friends, position. There's, there's a lot of deaths is what I'm saying. So with that, put that slide back up. That's, that's what I want you to hold when you see this phrase, who risked his life, endured distress because he lived to advance the gospel. Now, who do you know Think about it, right? I'm get, think about who do you know that lives like this? Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, I know. <laughs> I'm asking, who do you know? Like you know, either from a distance or close, but the human being who lives this way, because that's where, that's where the application of the text takes us. Beyond the biblical illustration to the real life person who's living such a life. Now, it's not just enough to see, you know, like, oh yeah, I know that person. Well, I see them living that way. It's not, that, that, that doesn't get you to the application of this text. Go back to what I said earlier, that there's no spiritual growth, transformation, heart change apart from person-to-person -person relationship at some level. So it's not just enough to know, yeah, I know Bob, I know Steve, I know Jim. It, it, it's who's, who do you know that at some level, 
you touch, you engage, you're with, you with me? It's gotta go that far. So it's not just seeing, but you're living in some way with. There's exchange of influence of life. I got a short story to show you that'll help, help us answer the question, um, okay, I know that person, but how can, how can they shape my life and my life be shaped? How, how does that happen, Lloyd? Well, this story will give us a glimpse of what it looks like in our day. Many of you know Mandy Blanton. I know some of you know Mandy, um, the wife of Aaron Blanton. Uh, Aaron and, 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 and Mandy moved here from California, but uh, Aaron was from here. Uh, he was a worship pastor in California and we brought Aaron back here. And I forgot how many years ago, Mandy yelled out how many years you've been here because I know you're in here somewhere. Seven years ago, they moved back from California to be our worship pastor. So you would know Aaron Blanton as our worship pastor for years. Now he's our executive leader of communications, oversees all of our communication. Well, it was in California uh, when uh, Aaron and Mandy had, had moved there that Mandy came across a woman named Martha Denick. Um, and she was a Timothy, a, an Epaphroditus, a Paul in Mandy's world. And uh, what transpired really just in a moment, like you're gonna see this, there's something that happened in a moment, proved over time to be the very thing, this thing that happened in a moment, proved over time to be the very thing that changed Mandy's life. Mandy Blanton is not who she was before she met Martha Denick. I got to sit with both women recently. Um, I'll tell you, we spent, I know I spent hours, or the time we spent together with a videographer was over an hour. Just amazing story underneath. And then Ryan Mitchell, our, our videographer, is able to take this rich story and, and, and bring it to a, you know, a shorter story that really gets to the essence, that shows us what matters most. And not just what matters most, but and okay, how can this be true in your life and in mine? Let's watch and listen to their story. Take me back to the, to the day that you were, you, you saw uh, Martha and you, you took a step of faith. Yes, so that day when she shared at a mops or something, she was a speaker and I just remember, oh my goodness, that, that woman, I, 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 want, I want that, whatever she has, like whatever that is, there was something. And so I, after she shared and after um, we were all finished, um, I just went up to her and I was like, hi, <laughs> my name's Mandy. She's like, I'm Martha. And I was like, would, you know, would you mentor me? You know, I was like, I didn't even know like what exactly it meant, but I just knew it was like, is there something that somehow can, can we, you know, hang out and can you mentor me? That's what came out. I don't even think I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that was what she was asking. Mm. It was, will you do life with me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know Mandy had just moved to California. Mm -hmm. It had been just, what, a few months? Yeah. Well, uh, you, had, you had told me that when, when she asked you to mentor her, one of the one of the simpler things you did was you called her and woke her up. 
she then was like, well, do you, you, do you want me to call you in the morning, you know, so you can have time with the Lord? And I said, no, right? <laughs> I said, no. But I don't remember how long it was when I came back and called and realized, oh, I'll take that call now. So tell me how that, you're asleep, what happens? What's, how's the phone call happen? <laughs> I could hear this loud ring and it was hard. I mean, it was, it was hard to get up, right? Like, it's still hard. Um, but she, I would leave the room quietly to not wake anyone else <laughs> or my man and go to my little closet and she'd say, good morning. And then she'd just pray. Usually you just pray. Maybe, you know, of course, bring scripture in that. Are you kidding? And, and then I would, I, I think, if I remember correctly, I started in, in John. Like, she would just pray and say, okay. Yeah, are you up? Yeah, are you because up? Because the are you rule walking? was. Oh, yeah, are you walking? Yeah, are you, are you up? up? Are you out of bed? Because the rule yeah. was she couldn't answer and say hello because then she'd in wake up Aaron. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she'd have to pick up the phone and get out of bed. Yeah. And then I would say, are you in your kitchen or yeah, wherever? Are you awake? Yeah, I just yeah, didn't yeah. want her, hello, goodbye, and then. <laughs> Going back, back to sleep. sleep because I definitely did that a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the snooze on her. Yeah, it's just the snooze button. <laughs> what did you notice changing in you? Do you remember what? 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 When did you go? Something's happening in me. What was that? Do you remember some of that? Now, Lord's just bringing to my mind how I used to wake up in the morning. I used to wake up with like a. A kid like tapping, mommy, you know, all sweet and ready to see me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, like turn over, let's go watch a show, you know, <laughs> go get some Cheerios, you know, like a bear. Like I'm just now remembering this. And then, you know, ah, oh, mama, you know, and no, but then little by little, I was already awake. So I could greet them with God's unconditional love because I had been sitting with Jesus. Like I noticed, I was like, I, I mean, it, and it took me a while to see it, but I was one, you know, one day I, I remember just thinking, man, I'm, wow, it's, they must feel pretty good when I like greet them this way versus back when I would just like, gosh, please, you know, like, uh, so, so it breaks my heart. Um, but little by little, I would just remember and go, wow, I'm, I'm kind of patient right now. Like, mm. this is pretty awesome, you know, or, yes. oh, I, I used to yell and I'm, I'm not, I'm not. And so those are the moments where I was like, this is the fruit of the spirit. This is, mm -hmm. this is what abiding in me looks like and walking by, the spirit looks like it, and you know, it's just supernatural, all of it. Um, so if someone's down and need help and desperate um, and needs that extra, uh, just just ask. Well, even in scripture, well, he says, ask and you will receive, yeah. right? Yeah. And you may not have that available until you ask the Lord. Yeah. And so you say, Lord, I am ready. And it didn't take much time together. No. Like it was a call. It was, right. you know, helping me wake up in the morning to be with Jesus. I mean, yes. it's not like we met for coffee all the time. Right. It was really rare, actually. We spoke on the phone. It's, yeah. it's not too much. Right. It's very simple.
It's not too much. It's very simple. There's so much in that story, but that's really the, the message. And, um, you know, I love it that Martha said, you know, sometimes it's, it's not there till you ask. You got to ask. Mandy asked. She didn't know what she's asking. You, you're someone, I see something in you that I want. I'm asking. You know, she also mentioned, I, I, I still just get so tickled at this. You want me to call you and wake you up? No. <laughs> I was like, she didn't want, uh, who would? She's a mother of little kids. Don't, no, I don't want you to wake me up. Let's do something else, right? And I'm not saying anything Mandy hadn't said publicly or wouldn't say, and it was, we didn't, have, didn't capture this part because I've asked her many times but, about it. But, you know, well, what, 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 what changed your mind? And Mandy said, you know, she said, well, you know, I, I remember losing it on one of my kids. Every parent's hand in the room should go up. Because when you do, then, then, see, Mandy hit that, and it's like, ugh. Martha, I want the phone call. You see, isn't that true in life? What, I, I wish it weren't so, but it is. It's when, we, it's when we get, it's when we mess up, it's when we go, ugh, that we make the call. <laughs> and we ask for help. All of us need help in the spiritual journey. Mandy said, will you mentor me? It's the only word she had. Honestly, call it what you want. I don't care what you call it. Mentor, you know, that, that freaks people out. Will you disciple me? I'm like, gosh, I don't know how to disciple me. How about this? Will you help me follow Jesus? That's perfect. Will you be a friend and help me follow God, whatever it is we ask. Now this takes us to the text. To ask for help, man, we resist it. It takes humility. It takes humility. Where have we been in Philippians in the last four weeks? The humility of Jesus. You go low in humility, I need your help. Your deepest joy, your most significant heart transformation, your deepest change and growth in Christ, it's not gonna come from a sermon. It's not gonna come from a seminar you go to. It's not gonna come from a book you read. And all those are good and helpful but it'll ultimately be tied to a human being at some level who, who just walked with you. And by the way, as she said, didn't have coffee with you for four years every Thursday. It doesn't have to be that. But it was a human being who made a phone call. Are you up? <laughs> How about reading John? <laughs> Which brings us to our invitation to joy from this text. I want you to answer a question this morning. Will you follow Martha's example and make yourself available to help someone follow Jesus more fully? I mean, it's a yes or no, but, but I, really, I really want you to think about it. That's, that's the application. You're not, you're not signing up for something if you say yes. You're, you're just saying yes. You're, you're, I'll tell you what you're doing. You're, you're making yourself available to the Spirit to use you. 
and I hear the wheels going in some of your mind, I'm not qualified. Let me say something to everyone in the room. If you know Christ, and yes, you've been walking with him for, for some time, uh, you will never get to a point where you feel like, I got it all together, now let me help someone. That is a black hole. The question is, are you walking with Jesus? By the power of the Spirit, as best you can, and listen, you're just a half step in front of someone who needs your help. And you go, well, oh my gosh, what if they, I don't have all the answers. There's another black hole. You'll never have all the answers. Question is, do you, are you walking with Jesus and the power of the spirit? So if someone asks you a question, you can't, you say, well, let's, I don't know, go to Jesus. He's got, see the whole point is we point people to Jesus. So in an act of humility, would you make yourself available to someone who needs help to follow Jesus? I, now hear me, that's not everyone in the room. I get that. But it's more people in the room than we kind of think it is. It is, it's a fact. Now, the other one is, will you follow Mandy's example and make the ask for spiritual help? Boy, will, will you, and you, yes or no, will you follow Mandy's example and make the ask? Now, I'm not asking you to do that today or whatever, but you can answer yes or no before the Lord. Today is between you and the Lord on this. But let me take you back. If you want to apply Philippians chapter two and what humility is, here's a way. To ask for help is a profound step of humility. Now that second one, can I say this? The first one, it may not be everyone in the room. That second one, there is no one in this room exempt from that one, including me. That's all of us. Can you imagine a church where the spirit leads and directs and just people connect and help each other along the way in their journey? Can you imagine what that church would be like? And hear me when you say yes to either of these, it's not like I'm gonna come up to you and say, hey, Natalie, I got the person for you. I'm gonna connect you over here with Grace or I'm gonna connect you over here with Steve or I'm gonna take, hey, Jeff, I know who you need and I'll put you with uh, Bill. No, I'm not gonna do that. But the Spirit will. That's what the Holy Spirit does when you say yes. And so if you say yes to either of these, all I'm inviting you to do and saying yes is, Start paying attention and God will direct you. God makes that happen, not me or Rob or anyone. Oh my, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Mandy's not who she was and you won't be who you are today when we begin to walk in this manner. Let's all stand. Let's take the bread and the cup. I really want you to invite you. I really, I really want to encourage you to answer the questions before we step out. Let's take the bread out, open the cup. It's so good that we come to the table. This is the table of communion, as we often say. It is a remembrance that Jesus, of Jesus, who he is and all he did on our behalf. It's tangible. 
I mean, I can, I feel this piece of this wafer. I feel the cup. I'll drink it. How, how, how visceral a picture that Christ is with us. He's for us. And may I say this in true spiritual reality, he's in us. Just like this is getting ready to be in you. That's what this picture is. Lord Jesus, for your body broken on our behalf, that, that, that in our brokenness, we would be made whole. Thank you for your obedience. We remember your body broken. We break the bread and we receive it. And we remember in this cup, your blood shed, Lord Jesus, your life poured out so that ours would never have to be poured out, meaning we will never have to be separated from you, from God, because you bore that penalty on our behalf. For your blood shed, Lord Jesus, we give thanks, receive the cup. I love what we're getting ready to do right now. Our song of response. It's a reminder that the greatest blessings of life, you all, are twofold. The the great, when you say, you know, Lord bless me, you know, I live a blessed life. I'm gonna tell you something. Biblically, the blessings are twofold. One is you're blessed by the presence of God in relationship with Him. And the second would be this, you're blessed in the relationships God has given you. That's, that's the blessings of life. Hear me, please. Whether you're at the end of life or where you are now, the greatest blessing in your life will be, will not be how much money you have, how many houses you have, your status, what people thought of you, your popularity. It, it, it won't be it, what you accomplished. The company you built is, I'm telling you, none of that will be the blessing. The blessing will be, I know God, God knows me. Presence of God and the people God has put in my life. That's, I'm telling you, there's the blessing of God. The blessing of God at its core is relational. Because relationship is at the core of our faith.